Welcome to Mormon Discussion Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Real. Just to let you know, you can find this podcast on its host site, mormondiscussionpodcast.org. If you're a premium subscriber, that's the only place you can access the premium episodes. You have to sign in with your username and password and then click premium episodes. You can also find the podcast on iTunes as well as Stitcher. And please leave a review at those sites if you listen there. The higher the review, the further up the list the podcast moves in being accessible to other people who have not heard of Mormon Discussion Podcast. Also, support the podcast by becoming a premium subscriber today or visiting the bookstore to purchase books that will help you in your faith transition. Thank you. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. So glad to uh, have you uh, with us today for another episode of Mormon Discussion. I'm your host, Bill Real. I uh, I want to talk today about an evidence of the gospel. In the survey I sent out a uh, a month or two ago, and again, this may be releasing several months after that survey, but the, the actual in my time at the moment as I'm recording this, the survey was about a month ago. And uh, I, I'll share, I think I'll put a, together an episode of those survey results because I find them pretty interesting. And some of the comments you guys gave as feedback was uh, was really appreciated. But that said, a large majority of the listeners that you guys who sent in, the, who fill up the survey and send it in, you responded back that you just were thrilled with the podcast and really enjoyed it and, and that there wasn't anything you'd do differently. And I appreciate that. Thank you. But there was a small segment of uh, listeners who wanted to hear more of the positive things I find in the gospel, the reasons why I hang on, the reasons why I choose to continue belief. And so I'll sprinkle some of those in from time to time. I know the podcast is designed to help people through a faith transition whether we call that a faith crisis, which are some of those really bad uh, and hurtful transitions, the ones that just flat out suck. But at the same time, there's lots of people who transition much more softly. And I'm trying to, to help my own transition as well as try to assist others. But I, I am aware that I need to, because I have reasons I believe, I have evidences, as you've heard me before describe two baskets. I have a basket of reasons why I'm here and why I press on. And, and so I'll begin to kind of sprinkle these in. I, uh, I want to note that today's episode we're going to talk about is the apocalypse of Adam. Many members, probably many of the listeners are completely unaware of what that is. So let me give some background. In 1945, a collection of 13 leather bound volumes, which contained 53 separate compositions or writings were discovered in the vicinity of a small town called Nag Hammadi in Upper Egypt. And since that time, uh, this collection has been generally referred to as the Nag Hammadi Library. These manuscripts, written in Coptic, the language of Egypt during the first centuries of the Christian era, are the literary literary remains of a group of Egyptian Christians who practiced a form of Christianity called Gnosticism. And for those who don't know, Gnosticism essentially refers to this idea that Jesus or God had a hidden knowledge that only members of the faith community or that sect would be aware of, and that this knowledge was considered both sacred sacred and secret and was not uh, spoken of generally, but so that these things wouldn't be lost to their posterity and future generations, they wrote the secret truths down. And And I should say, I should say in some ways, some of these things we're going to talk about today, we should maybe relate Gnosticism almost to kind of the temple within our, our theology. That there's this place we go that only members learn certain things and that the outside world is, is not given access, uh, to, 
to these teachings or these ideas. And so with that, let's jump in a little bit here to this. This may be a really short episode, but I want to share with you uh, some of the things that uh, I find intriguing. I'm borrowing some of this from Stephen Robinson's article titled The Apocalypse of Adam. If you'll remember, Stephen Robinson is the one who wrote the parable of the bicycle, uh, essentially believing Christ, a a practical approach to the atonement. And he used this parable of the bicycle to kind of get across this idea of grace. And so Brother Robinson is a scholar in the church. He's passed away, I believe, but... uh, As a scholar in the church, he's written numerous books and articles and uh, just a really great uh, writer and speaker within the church's history. So this term Gnostic, it comes from the Greek word for knowledge or Gnosis. It's uh, as fundamental to Gnosticism was the belief that the principle of knowledge is the principle of salvation and that it is impossible for a man to be saved in ignorance, which I think as a Mormon, we would very much gravitate towards that same kind of concept. Uh, Brother Robinson makes mention, he says, quite often this secret teaching that the Gnostics had included a knowledge of certain passwords, signs, and seals that made it possible for the Gnostic to escape from the earth to pass by the angelic beings who barred the way and then would allow them to then return to God. This was a literal return for the Gnostics. In other words, they believed in the preexistence of man and even in his uh, co-eternality with God. The beautiful Gnostic hymn, Gnostic uh, document, Hymn of the Pearl, portrays man as a spirit child of his heavenly father who lived as a prince in the palace of the heavenly king before descending to the earth. According to the Gnostic Gospel of Philip, the highest ordinance of Christianity is eternal marriage. This ordinance must be performed in this life in the bridal chamber where it is performed is called the Holy of Holies. We read from the Gospel of Philip, this is one seventeen. Verses 24 to 25 says, quote, but the holy of the holy ones is the bridal chamber, unquote. From 118 verses 17 through 20, quote, but the woman is united to her husband in the bridal chamber, but those who have united in the bridal chamber will no longer be separated, unquote. And so there's this idea of eternal marriage and pre-mortal life and living with God and, and just... These concepts that the way they're described in these Gnostic Gospels very much hits on the way we talk about uh, things within our LDS theology. Brother Robinson says, There is always mention made of heavenly garments and names which must never be spoken by those who know them. He says, uh, he points out in the second book of Jew, J-E-U, the resurrected Jesus has them form a circle around an altar with their wives at their at their left, in order to teach them the true mysteries. The Marconiites, or Martianites, a Gnostic sect, practiced a form of vicarious baptism for the dead. And and so lots of these documents now we have in this Nag Hammadi library. You can go online, and any of these things I just mentioned, you can, uh, you can click and read. I'll leave a link to the Nag Hammadi library generally in the uh, show notes for this episode, but also I'll leave a specific one for this uh, Apocalypse of Adam. Essentially, you can go, and the Apocalypse of Adam is relatively short. It's a, it's a pretty quick read. But the, the document is Adam talking in the first person about his experience in the Garden of Eden and, and after being placed into the mortal earth once the fruit was partaken of. And he's teaching his posterity, teaching his, his son Seth, for instance, about his experiences before Seth was born. And what, what the Apocalypse of Adam talks about is essentially something that is directly 
referred to in uh, in the temple. Now, this library again was not discovered until the 1940s, 1950s, and uh, and so for to say that Joseph Smith would have been aware of these documents is essentially not even possible. And so any connection you either have to draw as a coincidence, a searching for parallels where where it really isn't beyond coincidence to find them. But sometimes these things are just so striking that I just can't explain them any other way than to say, you know, I'm putting this in my bucket of evidence. Now, listeners, some of you are welcome to just take it right back out of your bucket and throw it somewhere else and to discard it for whatever reason. But for me, I find this compelling. And so here's what some of this uh, talks about in the, the apocalypse of Adam. Adam then falls into a sleep during which three men come to him whom he does not recognize because they are not from the creator God, which if you, if you understand the apocalypse of Adam, the creator God is referred to as an evil, as an evil being. And so it would be in our best interest to see the creator God as Lucifer. And while they use this term creator God, I think it would be better to recognize it as the God whose habitation is in the creation. In other words, God, Heavenly Father and Jesus create this earth. This earth is God's creation. And this this God who dwells on God's creation, this creator God, is Satan. So it says this creator God um, is not the person who these three men are from, but presumably from the great eternal God. And these three men say, Adam, arise from the sleep of death. They then restore some of Adam's knowledge and tell him about an illuminator, who will eventually be born from his and Eve's seed. In other words, the Savior. When Adam and Eve hear these things, they give a sigh in their hearts, which is overheard by the evil creator God. He then appears before them and and insists that he is their God, the God who made them. He somehow causes Adam to lust after Eve. The text kind of breaks off here, and but there's a mention of a second fall. Now think about this for a minute, right? I've spoken in the past about seeing the fall as figurative, our fall from the premortal life to the earth. And there's mention in this document about a second fall. Adam now reveals to Seth the things that the three men taught him, which consist of a vision of the future and of the appearance of this illuminator or savior. Adam prophesies that the creator God will bring the flood upon the world and destroy all men in order to kill the seed of Seth into whom the original knowledge and glory of Adam have entered. But angels from the great eternal God come on clouds and plucking the seed of Seth from the flood, transport them to the place of the spirit of life. The creator God has in the meantime made a covenant with Noah and his sons, promising to save them and give them kingship over all the earth if they will bear no seed of those who will not worship him. When the seed of Seth reappears, Noah is accused of the creator God of breaking this covenant, which Noah denies. The seed of Seth then goes into the land by themselves and establishes a utopian community where there is no evil for 600 years, where angels of the great eternal God dwell with them and where they are called by, quote, the name, unquote. And so there are pieces of this that seem strange or unfamiliar to to the stories we've heard. But there are also many connections, right? We have these three visitors who come to visit Adam and Eve, who teach them secret knowledge, who explain to them that this knowledge is to to not be shared, right? And we have Adam in this document going out of his way to protect some of this knowledge. So, for instance, to be called by, quote, the name, unquote. As if that's kind of the general term for something more specific that he can't say out loud. 
Brother Robinson finishes up with a uh, a little bit of talking about kind of the the ramifications of some of these Gnostic pieces of literature, and specifically this Apocalypse of Adam. He says, To Latter-day Saints, interest in the Apocalypse of Adam lies particularly in the following parallels to LDS religion. The document is a testament which Adam, in the last year of his life, leaves to his righteous posterity, the seed of Seth. Adam says that he and Eve were originally created with glory and knowledge. Eve brings knowledge to Adam, and as a result, quote, we were as the great eternal angels, unquote. In other words, knowing good from evil. The creator God, Satan, separates them, thus bringing about a fall. Their original knowledge and glory leave them, and they become mortal. Now they recognize the creator God. See that? There's a little tidbit there that becomes a very similar thing going on within the temple that they don't recognize Satan, and then, at some point, then they recognize him. Adam falls into a sleep, during which three men come to him and say, quote, Arise, Adam, unquote. They then instruct Adam and Eve and promise them that a Savior shall come into the world who shall suffer in the flesh. The content of their revelation to Adam consists of a vision of world history which, when combined with what Adam has already told Seth, makes the apocalypse of Adam an account of this world from the creation to the consummation with emphasis on the role and fate of the seed of Seth. The climax of world history is the coming of this savior or illuminator. The power of the Gnosis is bound up with, quote, the name at three points in the text. Although we are never told what the name is, the Gnostics will be rewarded for not writing down the words of the secret knowledge, for they are to remain oral and secret. In this epilogue to the Apocalypse, all of this is placed in a ritual setting, and the secret Gnosis of Adam is identified with a ritual baptism or anointing. Again, a connection. Much of this has a familiar ring due to similar constructs in the Book of Moses, the Book of Mormon, and LDS ritual within the Temple, but easily the most striking parallel is to the account of Adam Ande Amen in DNC 107:41 through 57. Here we are told that three years before his death, Adam called his righteous posterity to him to receive his final blessing. In the apocalypse of Adam, this occurs in the last year of Adam's life. In DNC 107:53, all of the patriarchs mentioned by name are of the seed of Seth. In the apocalypse, the revelation is given to Seth and is about his seed. DNC 107.42, Seth is told by his father that, quote, his seed should be chosen of the Lord and that they should be preserved unto the end of the earth, unquote. In the apocalypse, the glory of Adam passes into the seed of Seth. They are designated as the seed through whom the Savior will come, and their miraculous preservation from the attacks of the evil one is foretold. In the apocalypse, there is an appearance of three angels, in D&C 107.54, it is the Lord himself who appears. In the Apocalypse, the history of the world to the final consummation is portrayed. D&C 107.56, Adam is said to have, quote, predicted whatsoever should befall his posterity unto the latest generation, unquote. And then Brother Robinson finishes, a final caveat to this study must recognize, however, that parallels of themselves are neutral. They provide nothing. While it is hoped that Latter-day Saints will become excited and enthusiastic about such parallels as can be found between ancient literature and beliefs of the church, it is even more to be hoped 
that this enthusiasm will lead to an increased participation by Latter-day Saints in the competent study of this literature for its own sake and not merely for the sake of those parallels. And so essentially, Brother Robinson is suggesting that we each need to just be more focused on uh, on these texts and the blessing it is to have them rather than, than focus simply on the evidence that they are. But that said, I want to be clear, I do see this as evidence. And this is one of the reasons why my bucket of evidence matches up weight-wise or comparable to the bucket of contradiction and conflict that I see within the church. And I hope that you'll understand that my bucket on that side is full as well. Again, I, I hope that each of us can find ways to fill that other bucket, that bucket of evidence, of faith, of hope, of belief, of knowledge, of goodness, and that each of us can press forward leading with faith. God bless you. May the Lord warm your shoulders. In the sacred name of Jesus Christ, amen.
His grace.